On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Naomi, and Naomi was in a controlling relationship with an intimidating abuser. It's a story of shame, the hero, isolation, rage, feeling trapped, and the support of your friends. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Naomi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Naomi is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. Please do send it in the format that we asked for and please just keep on sending in your stories. We can never have enough stories, so please send those in. And a content warning for today's episode as we do discuss uh, sexual coercion in this episode, sexual assault in this episode as well. So that is your content warning for this episode. And today you're going to hear Naomi's story. And Naomi was very young when getting into this relationship. And Naomi was coming out of a relationship getting into this one. And, you know, embarrassment and, and shame becomes a big part of why people stay sometimes and, you know, trying to stick to these things. And this is also the story of, you know, someone who finds you in a bad spot and you think that you owe them and, and they tell you that th- they owe them. And it's a hard thing to kind of wrap your brain around when it comes to abuse because this person was someone who was very good to me and found me in this one place and helped lift me out of it. And it's really hard to wrap your brain around when abuse does start happening. And I'm really happy that Naomi is here to tell her story. And I'm going to now get out of my way in your way. Naomi, the floor is now yours. So um, early on in life, I grew up in a pretty broken home. My parents were divorced. Um, before I could like remember them ever being together. Uh, I say it was like a pretty decent childhood and home life. Um, But my mom was a serial monogamist going through multiple relationships uh, with like big blow up fights causing us to move and not have furniture and like struggle. Um, And this happened would this would happen like more than once every year. Uh, My dad, on the other hand, just worked all the time. So he was never home, but his house was stable. Um, and I was week on week off with my parents. So it was every other week, it was a different environment for me. Um, so at the time I, I, I mean, I had been all I'd known at that point. I had moved back and forth like every Sunday my entire life. Um, so that part didn't really affect me. It was like my normal, um, the relationships with my mom were, we were a little straight. I was a lot closer with my dad. I felt like more stable there. and. Uh, you know, we weren't moving all the time. I had a room and a home that like I could always go back to that was always the same. Um, And he wasn't bringing uh, like new people into my life. Um, As I grew up though, definitely I 
after like talking to my friends and seeing what their home lives were like, it definitely confused me seeing that people had like their parents still together and they didn't have to move every week. Like I basically, I lived out of a suitcase because um, I just I could bring a suitcase back and forth every Sunday. So I think that that definitely affected my, um, like into my adult years, like my ability to just like kind of hop from one thing to another pretty quickly because that's all I've been doing my whole life anyways. So I, um, you know, I was in like marching band and acting and performance. I was kind of a weird kid. Um, not saying those things are weird, but I was personally a weird kid. Um, and so I had a really low self-esteem and I, um, I got like, I became like a hopeless romantic, like way too young, you know, um, like trying to find like my one true love, just about accepted anyone. Uh, this also really made me susceptible to abuse because I was willing to take whatever people would give me. And then, you know, at 18, I ended up getting married uh, and that only lasted about three months. Uh, we broke up, I left, we didn't get a divorce though. And then about a year later, I uh, I was living back with my mom on her couch um, and I met this guy on Tinder. Uh, we met up for a breakfast date and it was, it was a great date. Like we spent, I would say like 12 hours together. Like we went to breakfast, we went, um, uh, we went to like a different town, went to Sonic. We, we just did a ton of stuff. And so I was like insanely infatuated with him. And I was like, so glad that he was willing to spend that time with me. Um, and he was super generous and like really kind to me. And the relationship progressed like very quickly. I moved in with him at his parents' house about an hour away from my hometown. This is like where he helped me get a job where he worked. He got he helped me get my GED because I didn't finish high school. And he taught me how to drive. And so everything felt perfect because I was finally uh, felt like I was with the person that I belonged with. So right here, you meet this person and you you eventually get your GED. This person's helping you right here. Yeah. Uh, before this person, how did you view yourself? And because this is the person that the story is about. But before that, like, how did you view yourself? Where did you think that you were going in this world? Did you have dreams or or anything like that? Because you know you're already married early. Uh, at the age of 18 and then you know that ends as well so you get you're married and divorced already so a lot of stuff has happened before the age of 18 for you where a lot of people are looking forward to you know the next step of their life maybe of going to school or or a specific type of job that they want or some sort of dream did you have a dream so like before we get back into the relationship and how this person started helping you maybe figuring these things out what was that world like for you as far as like what you wanted and, and who you were and like, you know, how you viewed yourself uh, in the world and how you thought maybe people viewed you? You already said you were a little bit weird, um, but what does that like fully mean? Um, so to be honest, after, you know, like ending a marriage so quickly, I was very, um, I hadn't finished high school. I didn't have my driver's license. I already had a failed marriage. I just felt uh, really terrible. I didn't think that anything in life was like going to go well for me. I didn't have any like high expectations for the rest of my life. And I just thought I would cruise through it like at 
you know, just do what I had to do, but I wouldn't be happy. Um, did you, were you depressed throughout your whole entire childhood and not fully understand that you were? I believe so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I never got um, help that I asked for when I was a kid. So, so I guess in a lot of ways from what I understand here is that maybe you were, even though your dad is a place that's a home for you and was the more stable place that maybe there was a little bit of neglect as far as them being involved in your world and listening to your needs or even interested in helping you with what your needs are because growing up in a child of divorce in such a way going back and forth that maybe there wasn't enough caretaking on their end to provide enough reassurance of the stableness of things, creating an unstableness for you growing up, but also them not being there maybe in some ways, and I might be putting uh, words into your mouth, but that creates um, a neglect in a lot of ways. Yeah, my um, I would say my parents are pretty uh, absent when it came to emotion-wise for me. Um, especially, I mean, my dad was barely ever home anyway, so he was pretty absent physically, but, you know, things were taken care of. I was fed, had a house. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't get that, um, like emotional support. I don't think from my parents at all growing up. Um, and like, even when I would seek, I would come to them, it just kind of was like, oh, you're a teenager, you know, your hormones, like it was just kind of brushed off. Um, and so I like learned quickly not to go to them for that kind of stuff. So I just tried to deal with it and ignore it until I was an adult and I could deal with it myself. So your childhood really created this um, self-reliance in a way and the need for, not the need, but the idea that uh, the hopeless romantic in you, you know, someone's going to come along and help take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I had never, you know, I had never seen like love coming from like my parents in that way. So I got, that's like all I craved was like that relationship that I wish my parents still had. And so, I mean, it did make me, you know, accept anybody. So I interrupted you there to kind of go backwards a little bit. Yeah. And so now let's go back to, you know, you meet this person that the story is about and you know, this person has just kind of taken you in, helped you get the GED, you got your license. You know, this person has shown themselves here that, you know, they care in these ways. And it's the first time you're really ever experiencing this in, in this way. So I guess take us from here. Yeah, so you know, he helped me with all of that stuff that I really had no motivation to do. And he kind of pushed me to do it. Um, and I think a lot of that blinded me to like the little red flags that were popping up for me about him at this point. Um, like he, I, he made me feel super cared for and sought after and he would leave me like love letters to find around the house and took me on trips and like spoiled me with fancy dinners and dates. And it just felt like my first like adult relationship. 
Um, and I think that because he did all these like foundational things for me, he made me feel like I owed him my life. Um, and so, you know, I lived with his parents and him for a couple of months. So he, um, he's the only child. Um, his mom is an immigrant and his dad, uh, is, was born in the U S. Um, his dad was a little angry as a person. I could, you would say like very loud and would yell, um, and his mom was just quiet and seemed like she like submitted to him a lot um, in arguments in front of us. Um, and my ex was, uh, he's like super into the gym. He, that's like kind of his like therapy. He would go to the gym if he was mad, upset, whatever. He, uh, he was a pretty like quiet, uh, like reserved person. And I, there was really not much uh, to like speak on just with him. He was just kind of like, just felt like an average person. Um, his parents though, they did treat, so he actually was, um, quite heavy and then he lost a ton of weight, like before I met him. Um, and his parents or his mom specifically would, uh, like call him fat if he was like gaining even like a pound. So frequently kind of putting him down about his weight and, um, but also making these crazy big dinners, at the same time. And he had told me like, you know, his parents fed him really terrible food when he was a kid. And that's like how, you know, all that weight came on. Um, so I think he was kind of a pretty insecure person as well as being very like self-assured at the same time, if that makes sense. So now you're in the home, you're seeing how his family works, you know, where some of his insecurities and, and shame might come from. So what are the first signs of coercive control? Where do these things begin? I was working with him. Uh, things were like pretty okay, um, but he started to get a little bit more controlling. I was about an hour away from my family without my own car. Um, and so if I needed to do something or go somewhere, uh, I had to ask him to take me or ask him if I could take his car, which definitely made me a lot more disconnected from my family physically. And it gave me a lot less independence than I would have had if I would have like stayed, uh, with my mom. Um, he's starting to get weird about like what I'm wearing. Like if we're going out, um, I remember one time he, I had taken a shower because we were about to go out on a date and he like berated me for not drawing my eyebrows on because I have very like light eyebrows. And so you can't really see them unless I put makeup on them. Um, and so that was really weird for me. I was really confused uh, why he thought I needed it. So just like small things like that at this point that didn't really bother me too much, but like just made me kind of look at him a little weird for a second, like not understanding what he's talking about. Um, at this point, I wasn't really saying no a lot to him. Um, uh, yeah, everything was still pretty new. It was only a couple months. Uh, we were living with his parents, so it was, I, I would say it was pretty okay. I didn't feel uncomfortable in that regard with him. He did, he would get like upset with me if like we got home from work and I didn't want to like drink with him. Um, so I felt like I had to like drink alcohol or else he'd be mad at me. Um, and so that was like, Another thing that was weird, but I didn't feel like it was enough to like leave him. But then he also, um, out of nowhere, you know, told me that he loved me, but he could not be with me unless I had got my divorce done. And I, you know, I had just been at that new job and I wasn't making all that much money. I also didn't even know like how to go about getting a divorce, like what, like paperwork to file, how to serve it. Like I didn't know any of these things. So it kind of made me not want to go do it. Um, 
And at this point, he had accused me of like enjoying being married. Um, and so I thought that was like silly because I hadn't talked to my ex uh, husband in like years, like a year or two at that point. And he, uh, this is where I noticed a lot more controlling than before. Um, and he would like use his love as an excuse to just for just about anything he like wanted me to do. Um, like, so, but I ignored that and stayed with him. Um, and I went and I got the divorce. I, uh, filed all the paperwork. He came with, like, he went with me, watched me do it, got it served, had my core over zoom, everything was done. And you know, that never came up again. Uh, but that was like, you know, a couple of month process uh, to get all that done. So you use the word there, silly and ignored when it came to, you know, him having a little bit of a blow up or, or, an, you know, um, kind of what's the best way to put it? If he was getting mad at something that you were doing, you know, uh, you said silly or ignored, you ignored it. But if there's underlying feelings for those words, how did you feel when those things happened? Or are you not using feelings or are you logically thinking things through and giving excuses and ignoring or really repressing feelings so you don't have any? Um, I think at this point I was more so like appalled whenever he would act like that. I didn't understand what the big problem was. Um, you know, to me, it just felt weird. I didn't under, you know, I had never really been with anybody that would get mad about stuff like that. So it really confused me. Um, and, you know, I, at this point, you know, like the way that he was saying like, oh, I love you, but I can't be with you or I'll leave you if, um, that caused me to kind of like do whatever he wanted me to do because I didn't want him to leave me because I would just go back to my mom's couch and, you know, um, life would just go back, I think, to like how it was before I met him. So I kind of put up with it. Um, So early on here, you know, he's kind of love bombed you in the savior hero mode. And the big first thing that he's doing besides these controlling behaviors is when you do challenge those things, you know, as well, you're isolated here when you challenge those things or you kind of voice that he uses, you know, the breakup or possibly like silent treatment type things um, to have you reach over on, on to his side. So he doesn't break up with you. So he kind of reverses uh, the feelings here as far as like, you really should be the one that's mad, but he's put it in his court here where he is the one who is in control and mad because he knows your pressure point and your theme of your life. And, you know, he's the first person to really show you this love in these ways and concern. And so now when he pulls away you jump over to him so it will not go away because you need that. And again, you you also don't want to go uh, to your mom. Yeah. Um, and I also, I also didn't want to speak to anybody about, um, you know, like these issues because I didn't want them to dislike him. And then me like, you know, like that always sucks when you tell your friend something bad your partner does and then they're mad at them. Um, so I just kind of chose to keep it quiet and to myself. 
So eventually you two do move out from, you know, his parents' place. So how do you feel about that? And what happens from here? So then uh, we got our very own apartment back in my hometown. So I was closer to my family. I was super excited. And I was also very excited to live alone with him and have our own space that we could decorate and furnish and it could be ours. Um, the very first night we were there after we unpacked everything, got our bed put together, my family came and helped us. Um, we had a huge blow up fight because he wanted to have sex and I was exhausted and really didn't want to, but you know, we had been moving all day, going back and forth an hour. And that night was definitely like the start for me of realizing kind of how big of a mistake I had just made by signing that lease. Um, you know, he would talk to me how rejected he felt when I didn't want to do stuff and like that I should still try even if I don't want to and that we could stop if I, after I try, I don't want to. And I knew better. I was like, no, I'm going to tell you no, if I don't want to like, uh, you know, at that point. Um, and so this is like the apartments where things like took a turn for the worse. Um, you know, he started to be controlling about what I was wearing. Um, like I couldn't wear low cut tops. I had to wear like super t-shirts, jeans, and who I was talking to, I, I, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to any men at all. Uh, even if they were friends I had had for like six years, uh, he was not okay with it, how I spoke to other people. So I had to watch kind of how I interacted with other people in front of him, especially like if my, uh, my marriage had come up, he would get really, really upset if someone else had brought it up. Um, so I had to tell people that we would hang out with, like, hey, please don't mention this. You know, like he would yell at me for talking to male coworkers about work at work. Um, so I just felt like I couldn't really do anything that like I quickly learned like what would upset him. And I just had to like appease it because, you know, we would just at this point argue. Um, but I didn't want it to go any farther than that. So I was pretty scared of him at this point. And actually, when he caught me texting a male coworker, um, asking him to bring, I think, like a battery to work or something, I was texting him on the platform for work, like where you text people at work. Um, and he caught me doing that. And he made me sleep on the couch that night. Um, he, like, came out and threw a pillow and blanket on the couch and said, like, you and your phone obviously need privacy. You can sleep out here. Um, and so it's like, stuff like that just started snowballing and building up into, like, you know, him having a lot of control over me and what I was doing. Um, and I never thought that that type of thing would happen to me. I thought that I had enough, I could stand my ground enough with people, but he kind of proved me otherwise on that one. So when these things would happen, like the day that you slept on your couch, you know, how do these things get smoothed over? Like, are there apologies on either end or are you just kind of going along and um fawning i guess or are you just doing anything to um or you're just not kind of interacting you're not gray rocking per se but uh, um trying to be as small as possible um i would say it was a i was usually the one apologizing in every single situation uh even if it wasn't you know my bad i was always apologizing um, and then I would, I would kind of try to be small because I didn't, uh, want, I didn't want him to find something else. Um, cause anytime we had these fights, I knew I wasn't going to sleep that night. Like I, I have a very hard time. Like, I don't like conflict. I get very anxious. My stomach hurts. 
And so after these like conflicts, I just like couldn't sleep. I didn't want to eat. Like, uh, so I kind of shut down after these uh, incidents with him. But he would never. I don't. I don't. I don't remember a time that he like ever actually apologized to me for anything. <laughs> so you know, I quickly realized the rules I had to follow um, and how I had to obey him, or else uh, I would have consequences. Um, he didn't really have to threaten me. Uh, like verbally, it was just kind of something I knew, especially when it came to sex. If I had told him no, uh, you know, there would be a big fight and I wouldn't sleep, uh, which, you know, that was I I had um, uh, pa- past sexual abuse uh, as a teenager. And so that was super hard for me to deal with him, you know, acting that way towards me when I just didn't want to because it made me scared that, you know, if I don't do it, that, you know, I will be uh, assaulted. Um, and you know, like I had mentioned earlier, he, he said it made him feel rejected. Like I didn't actually love him. Um, and so eventually I just started to appease him and just, you know, do it because I knew, uh, it was easier than causing a fight. I almost like, I, I became like a a maid for him at this point. I had, you know, he was a very messy person. I'm not a very super clean person, but I, um, I was like, just cleaning up after him frequently like I'm the only one doing laundry the only one doing the dishes I'm wiping down the counters I'm the one making the food I you know I felt like a live-in maid for him that also worked full-time uh the exact same amount of hours at this point as him and so like that just kind of became my normal for me I just I walked on eggshells no one came over to our house we didn't go out a lot I wasn't super allowed to go out by myself um at this point I didn't have many close friends um and so I was just kind of mostly like I was just living in fear of what could happen if I upset him and I remember during an argument at one point he had told me that you know if I ever left him he would kill me um and so that you know was weird like I mean it was I I didn't believe him at the time 100% but it was just like definitely a weird thing to say to someone like a really messed up thing to say um, and he had gone into detail about like, um, oh, my parents would help me cover it up. Like, you know, just like really unnerving things to hear from your partner. Uh, and so then like, you know, like that was just kind of life at that house. And we went to a uh, a secret Santa party for my family after we had been there. I think we were there about six months in that apartment. Um, and we had stopped at the store to buy drinks uh, while we were like checking out. He kept lifting my dress and trying to like touch my butt. And I kept swatting his hand away because I I don't wear dresses often. Uh, and I felt very exposed and uncomfortable. And um, after we got back into the car, he would scream at me for rejecting him. And, you know, and I would argue back. I was started to get more a little bit defiant with him. And I would start arguing back at this point because I was so sick of it. Uh, and then, like, after we got to my, my mom's house for the party, and we just had to, like, pretend that everything was fine. We weren't just, like, screaming at each other in the car, which was it created a super awkward environment for me. So pretty early on here, we already have, or you already have a lot of coercive control tactics that are being employed, uh, sexual coercion, threats of death, you're living in fear, there's obligation going on, guilt, because he's always bringing up this rejection of him uh, type of thing, which makes you kind of comply uh, isolation is a big one in so many different ways and not just physical isolation, 
you know, controlling behavior as far as who you're allowed to talk to. He, this person has their tentacles all around the power and control wheel here all already. And I'm just listening to your story and I didn't really know much of, of your story coming in here, flying blind a little bit here. You're trapped you know, with the lease and everything that's going on over top of things, your thought process, you know, coming into this relationship, him kind of having things over your head as being a savior, you're really in this, you know, cycle of abuse and, 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 and trapped right here. And this is pretty quick. Like, so how are you feel? Are you feeling trapped uh, during this time? Um, I was definitely feeling trapped. Um, I knew at this point, I knew things were wrong and that this was not what I wanted, you know, but with, um, how much he had done for me being held over my head and the lease and not knowing where I would like, where would I go afterwards? Would I, you know, would I have to go, would I have somewhere to go? What about getting to work? I would have to find a new job. Um, and so I felt super trapped because every part of my life kind of revolved around him at this point. And so it was really hard to find an out. So I definitely felt very trapped. I didn't know who I could go to for help. I didn't know how, uh, you know, being so, uh, you know, my phone was like under surveillance frequently by him. I didn't have a lot of privacy. Um, so I was having a really hard time finding a way to talk to people. Um, later, you know, after talking, you know, present day, me talking to my family, they were 100% aware of, you know, how he was acting and how, you know, I was changing and they could see that and they didn't know, they didn't want to say anything to push me away farther from them because had they mentioned it, then, you know, my ex would have definitely stopped contact a lot more with them. So it was really hard because people knew, but they couldn't do anything. And you're also like 19 years old here, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you're very young and... Not that if you're older, people can have this stuff happen to them too. But being in 19, you know, you don't have much experience of a lot of things and you're just doing your best. You're surviving as best you can right here. Yeah. And then this is like where way more isolation um, happened for me. Um, as I said earlier, people weren't allowed at my house. Like I, you know, friends weren't ever allowed over. My family couldn't come over. Like if my sister came to, you know, grab something from me, I would have to run out front and like meet her out front because uh, they weren't allowed in our home. Um, and if I did go out, you know, he he had my location at all times, no matter like where I was at. And I had a, you know, I had a two hour time window for everything I had to go do. Like if I went to go get a tattoo, I only had a two hour time limit. Um, so I have a very unfinished tattoo on my arm. Um, and you also mentioned in your email to me that, you know, eventually you did leave your place of work where you worked with him, which he wasn't really thrilled about at all. And then there was an incident in the aftermath of that, of him coming to your place of work. So tell us about this. And so he actually showed up to my job. Uh, I worked retail and it was Black Friday. He showed up and made me delete all my social media while I was at work, um, including like Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Snapchat, Instagram, everything. I couldn't have anything. 
um, which was hard for me because I don't use my phone number. I text, I primarily text all my family on messenger. Uh, like that's the only contact with my dad is on Facebook. So it's, it was definitely like rough. Cause like now I don't have the contact with all my like, um, extended family that I typically would. And so I was like, at this point, like, you know, my phone was being watched for this, like disobedience. Um, and one little thing would, you know, he would freak out. And so I like I was fearing for my safety quite a bit and it was really, really, really tough. Um, like the only out, I like the only, um, peace I had away from him was while I was like actually working. But even then we would have to call frequently like while working. So like, you know, having that new job, I finally had some semblance of like independence and freedom from him. Um, except somehow he was still controlling me when I was away from him 10 hours a day. And for Christmas that year, my ex got angry with me when I tried to celebrate with my mom because he was working. Um, and like he had worked nights. And so I, I, uh, during the morning I woke up, got ready, had my mom come pick me up and I went with her to celebrate Christmas with her. Um, and he woke up to me, not home and he freaked out. Um, and I actually had to ask my mom to take me back home on Christmas and like spent the whole night by myself because my ex didn't want me to be out without him. So, and that was like, uh, my very first Christmas, literally by myself, like, you know, my family does pretty big holidays and like my mom, I think that's when my mom really noticed when I was like, oh, we're fighting. Like, can you just take me home? Like, um, and so, yeah, that was a really big one for me. I, I like, I still don't forgive him for that. <laughs> and then, you know, he would frequently like while we were in the car or in a group of friends, he would quiz me on uh, random topics uh, like geography and history. Um, and he knew I didn't, you know, I, uh, those aren't like subjects I was super into. And so he like would do that to make me like feel or look stupid because I didn't know the answers. And then he would kind of berate me afterwards. Like, I can't believe you don't know that. Or like, you know, it just felt weird. These like quizzes he would, he would give me. Like, I feel like in some circumstances that could be like a fun game you have with someone, but with him, it was, it just felt like I was just being put down constantly by him. He also, you know, at this point had like bullied me into dieting and working out. Um, he was a very big gym rat and I, I was not very, I've never felt too bad about my physical looks. Like I didn't really care too much, but he started to like, you know, like we weren't allowed to have certain foods in the house. Um, and like, he would never tell me like, you need to, but it was like very indirectly like, we need to do this. We have to do this. And like, I just didn't want to, like, I'm not super into going to the gym and, uh, it's just not my thing. And so I had kind of started to have to do that when he was like upset with me, he would walk around the house, whisper, like whispering derogatory, like things about me, but just loud enough so I could hear them, um, like very under his breath. But like, I felt like he was doing it so I could hear it. And when I would ask him, like, what, he would say that he was, like, just talking to himself. But am, am I allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. Okay. So he would be, like, um, he'd be, like, stupid fucking bitch. Stupid. Like, like, just, like, stuff like that under his breath, like, um, walking around. And so I, you know, that made me super upset because he would always deny it, but I could tell what he was doing. I think this is where more the verbal um, insults started coming from him. Like, this is where... I would be called a whore uh, and a slut, like in front of, like either alone or in front of people or even two people when I wasn't there. 
um, my friend Chloe had, um, she had witnessed it frequently at work, uh, the way he would speak to me to, you know, his, uh, coworkers. And so she definitely was one of the first people to, uh, come to me and be like, Hey, like, this is messed up. <laughs> um, so what starts with isolation, you know, we had some hints of threats to your life earlier as well. We have controlling behavior, and now it's really moving into put-downs. And in your email to me, you mentioned this gym-related uh, weight put-downs, food put-downs correlated with him being a gym rat because, as we heard before, he was shamed for being bigger growing up. So many of his behaviors when it comes to narcissistic abuse are, are shame-based, and, and the victim-survivor, which is you in this case, is, is the receptacle of that shame response. So from right here, where we are in your story, you're in this moment where put-downs are, are a big thing that is going on. But from here, things are going to start moving into threats, and we did have you know threats earlier, but these threats that are going to be coming to you are going to start feeling bigger. There's something more going on inside him and, it, and it's growing. So take it from here. And then we started getting to more like threatening behavior from him. Um, like I said no to sex. He punched a hole in our wall. I was going out with Chloe. Uh, you know, my ex was invited. He didn't want to go. But so I ended up just going. But I had worn makeup. And um, he had thrown my wallet at me before I left because he was upset with me for wearing makeup and trying to impress other people. Um, so instead, I spent that whole night crying instead of like having fun with my friend. Um, and then when I came home, the conversation never happened about it. It just kind of went away. And so then he would like while he was driving, he just started to like slowly just get more physically violent, like toward objects. Um, like while he was driving and someone would cut him off, he would punch the ceiling of his like brand new car and yell. Uh, and that always terrified me um, because I'm, you know, he, my hands are kind of in his life right now uh, with him driving um, and him acting really um, crazy, I guess. Like it, that's the only way I can describe it. Crazy. It's freaked me out. And then, you know, if I had a snack like uh, Reese's or something, just like a snack, he would punch it before I would eat it. Like, and I, I never understood why or, you know, he never explained it to me. Like, it was just funny to him to like smush my food um, and I would just have to eat my food smushed. Um, and then, you know, like uh, sex had already been a really big problem in our relationship. That was kind of a main theme for me. Um but a lot, a lot of the time too, is because I didn't want to do like anal sex. So I would sometimes have to suffer through that. Um, and I didn't really want to, but you know, and then, you know, I accidentally injured myself. Um, and I had to go to the ER. Like I had cut through my finger. I, it would, it was bleeding for like two hours with pressure. And I was like, okay, I have to go to the hospital. So my friend, um, came and picked me up and brought me I um, couldn't get stitches because it had already been too long. My skin had gotten too hard. So they just glued me shut, gave me tetanus shot, you know, gave me a doctor's note saying I should not go to work um, and like sent me on my way. Um, and when I got home, I remember uh, my ex freaked out at me because I already had medical debt and I was going to cause more. And I was so stupid for doing that. And I should have just like gone to urgent care instead of the hospital um, and all this stuff. 
And I just kind of like went and I just laid down in bed. I was tired. I'd been at the hospital for like six hours. I was just ready to like go lay down. And so while I was laying down, I heard him slamming things in the living room and in the kitchen, which um, I had hurt myself redoing our flooring. So the, the kitchen was a mess. Um, but he was throwing stuff around, yelling like stupid fucking idiot, like just like stuff like that. And come to find out the medical bill I got in the mail was like a hundred dollars. So, you know, looking back, it's silly to me. And eventually financial abuse became part of your relationship as well. So walk us through this. So, yeah, I, um, um, you know, I wasn't allowed to spend my own money uh, unless he approved it. Um, like even like pretty far into our relationship, like towards the end, even I had to ask him if I could buy things with my own money. I would like have to beg. Um, and we would get into arguments a lot about money. Um, I, I had to start lying to him about um, buying things and say like, oh no, I didn't buy the Starbucks cup. Chloe gifted it to me. Um, and Chloe would go along with it if I asked her to, um, just cause it was so like, it was kind of ridiculous to have to lie about buying like a $9 cup. You know what I mean? But um, I also had receipts um, and had purchases I had made for things. Um, like in my little, I had like kind of a craft room in our house. So I would just hide things in drawers and stuff. So he didn't know. I I felt uh, guilty. I felt, you know, like I didn't want to lie to him about things. I don't want to lie to my partner, but um when it comes to things like that, I just knew I had to. Um, and so even though I felt guilty, I didn't let that stop me from doing it because I knew that the way he was treating me was wrong and that I was not as much in the wrong for lying about something so little. Um, it wasn't a hurtful lie. It was a lie to protect myself. Um, and so, I mean, I'd even, that extends to other parts in my life as well. Those little lies I use them to this day in my own relationship because I have to unlearn, you know, those behaviors. Um, but yeah, I, I felt guilty. I felt really bad. I felt, it felt like, it felt dumb to me that I had to do that. And that like, you know, so I didn't let my guilt overtake me and make me stop doing it. Um, and at this point of the relationship, have you tried to leave and are you having aha moments or maybe talking to other people at this point that something is wrong? Or are you still really quiet about what's happening and, and suffering in silence? Um, at this point, I really kind of started to like his hold was not so intense on me anymore. Um, it, this point for me was more so preparing and trying to figure out where I was going to go. Like I had emotion, I had shut off my emotions like completely towards him. I didn't have, um, which oddly enough, I say that, but you know, that when he wasn't around, it was so easy for me to just like, I hate him. I want, I don't want to be with him. He's terrible. I'm going to leave him, you know? And then the second he's back and like, I like physically can see him. It's like, I feel terrible that I thought those things like, you know, he's not that bad. Um, and I, I started to get, um, like fearful that he could like tell, like that he could hear my thoughts that I was thinking about leaving and that he had, I had like, I had these weird moments where I thought he had cameras in the house to watch me. And so like, I couldn't find any obviously, but I just felt like he was always watching and listening and I couldn't like escape him, 
you know, but emotionally I was a little bit more uh, off this point by him. Like I, I wasn't really speaking to a lot of other, like other people about it, but I definitely was preparing myself and getting ready to go. Are you thinking it's abuse at this point or is that word even crossed your mind? Um, my brain, it was just like emotional abuse, not quite. I didn't think about all the different factors going into it, like financial and stuff like that. I just kind of was like, okay, I'm definitely being emotionally abused at this point. Um, but you know, I, I didn't 100% know where to go from there, like what help I could even seek out or who I could talk to, where am I going to live? And at this point we actually had pets together, like two cats. So what about my cats? Am I going to be able to take them? What about all my things? Like, am I going to have to throw all my things away? Um, and so I just kind of shut off my emotions and like, um, basically just like kind of just did what he wanted, but without really thinking about it, just, you know, like sucking it up and doing it. So you mentioned his cats right there. So did he use those against you too? There was just like, he would kind of use them against me and in somewhat of a manner, not super intense, but you know, like if they got hurt, it was my fault or something you know, like I was the one that had to take care of them for Like I had to do litter box. I had to do the food. I had to go to the store and buy the food. Um, you know, I, like I was 100% doing every single house tour at this point um, because he said he was making more money than me. So I owed it to him. Um, even though I was working 60 plus hours a week at my job that was paying a lot less than my old one, I had to work a lot harder for the money. So I'd come home from work and clean and clean and clean and you know, he would get home and something would be wrong. Like, oh, I missed a dish or the toilet wasn't scrubbed or, you know. So it became a huge theme for me. It was just clean, clean, clean. So eventually an incident happens where you get support. And it's not meaning that you didn't get support before from this specific friend. Yeah, you, you were. But this time, it's different. This time, you've been through enough, and you've seen enough, and they've seen enough. And and this support right here from this incident really starts to form you know, the basis of you eventually leaving. So uh, walk us through this. Sunday morning, we would go out to breakfast with Chloe, her daughter, and her husband. And so, you know, these breakfasts usually went pretty decent. There was not a lot of fights. Um, at this point, Chloe was, you know, my closest friend I had um, because my ex let her around me. My ex actually introduced me to Chloe. So he, my ex had brought up uh, that I was to blame for being assaulted as a child because my parents were unfit and weren't paying attention enough to me. Um, and so that kind of upset me because uh, why, first, why would he bring that up in front of other people? Second, why is it anyone's fault other than the person who did it? Like, you know, I was very uncomfortable at this point. Um, and when Chloe tried to stick up for me, he kind of snapped at her and said the same thing would happen to her daughter um, because of her parenting and that she's an unfit parent. Uh, and the daughter, like the daughter's sitting right there. She's young. Um, and so I, everyone was kind of really gross. Like that really grossed me out when he said that I, and I think that's really when Chloe saw like how terrible he was, like just seeing the way that he talked about her daughter in front of her. Um, so that was a really, really big turning point for me because, you know, you can do, you know, if you want to blame me and talk trash about me, go ahead. But like he brought a child into it and that really, really made me uncomfortable and upset me. So then by this time, my very close friend, Chloe, 
started to notice what was going on. She had talked to me many times about leaving, uh, but no matter how many times I tried, I just couldn't. Um, I still loved him um, and felt that, you know, like maybe one day he could act how he was in the beginning. Um, if, you know, maybe we could get back there. So I didn't really want to leave him per se. I still wanted to, you know, every day I still like craved escaping, but for some reason it just was never enough. Um, you know, at this point he had completely stripped me of my identity. I was no longer allowed to wear my makeup outside the house. I wasn't allowed to like cut my hair a certain way, or I wasn't allowed to get any piercings. I, I didn't feel like I had any semblance of like who I was before I met him. And I didn't really recognize myself. Um, I really hated like who I had to pretend to be to like please him. Um, and I didn't feel at that point that I deserved any better or that anything better was even really out there. I had, you know, at that point told Chloe, like, at least I have food and a home. Like that was kind of the bare minimum for me is like, you know, I'm not starving and I'm not homeless. And I was really afraid to leave. Um, I didn't want another failure of a relationship, especially after my divorce, like at 18. Um, and I didn't want to be looked at as like, a lot of it was almost fear of being like my mother. Um, I didn't want the the failure of all these relationships, you know, because I had tried kind of my whole life, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, hop from one person to another. It's not going to be a blow fight every time and stuff. And then, you know, at this point, I was like, well, if I guess like that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, and like, you know, like no shade to my mom, but it's the truth of what happened. So and this is when a lot of people started to notice the abusive cycle I was in. And at this point, like I completely was emotionally detached. I, I knew that he was abusing me, but I was scared to leave. He had already threatened to kill me. I slowly really just shut off my emotions completely and prepared, you know, and like, I, I it feels like weird to think about now, but back then I was like, just waiting for him to actually hit me because I felt like if he actually did, then that would be a reason to leave. And I could say, I could verbalize that to him. Like you hit me now I can go. Um, which is kind of ridiculous for me. I don't know why I wanted him to hit. I didn't want him to hit me, but you know what I mean? Like I could have left at any point. So waiting for him to physically harm me um, was really weird to like look back at and think about. Um, he was a lot bigger than me. Like, like I said, he worked out a lot. So he was really strong. Um, and like, he definitely could have done damage <laughs> if uh, he did. And it's not a weird thing to think. I've heard that um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, that thought process of waiting for, it would be easier to leave if they actually hit me. Like that was the line in the sand. Even when you're going through the emotional abuse and in the control and how bad it is, uh, for so many people, it's the thought that like that stuff isn't abuse. And this is the line a hundred percent that, you know, in a way the abuser cannot refute that, even though they could try and refute it in some way. But in your mind, that is proof. And, you know, whatever crazy making is going on and reversals and blame shifting, you know, they can blame shift everything else away in a lot of ways. But that for so many people can't. And it's the thing yeah. that, that you need. Absolutely. So eventually the beginnings of the beginnings of the end start to occur if it already didn't start occurring. So walk us through the beginnings of the beginnings of the end. 
So, um, you know, after work one night, I, I started, uh, I went to my friend Chloe's house. He like allowed me to go this night, which was really, um, on like, it was not normal for him just to let me like go to my friends. Um, and I had like a really good time hanging out. We were playing video games with her and her roommate. Um, and I realized like that night that life could be like that. I could just go out with my friends and I could have fun. And I didn't have to be so scared and like lifeless almost. And so, you know, those feelings started to kind of swirl around my head, like, okay, like, you know, like I am in this terrible situation and there's these two friends right here. Like, you know, my night has gone so great. And like, I could just like have that. I could just do that as long, like, as long as I leave my ex, I can, like, as long as I leave him, I can do that. I can enjoy things like this again. And so um, we eventually wanted to grab something from my house or we drove there. So me, Chloe and her roommate, Nathan, when I got home, my, uh, my ex was fuming. He was screaming at me, uh, you know, in front of my friend, Chloe, uh, Nathan had stayed in the car because, uh, you know, God forbid I bring a man to the house. And so he was like screaming at me. Um, and when I went inside, he slammed the door in my friend's face. And was like, just asking me if I was stupid. Why would I bring people to the house? Uh, like, you can't believe me. Like the house is so messy. And I'm not really sure what like snapped, but I like was done. Like that was for some reason, the very last thing I needed was for him to just do that. I, I like had been getting like, Chloe had been trying to get me to leave him for like months at this point, you know, like she saw the behavior. She knew I saw them, but she, you know, she knew that I wasn't going to leave until I was ready. Um, but I was like, actually going to do it this time. I, I knew I had to leave. I grabbed my phone charger and my iPad. I don't know. T only two things I grabbed for some reason. Um, and I just left saying like, Hey, I'll be back later. So sorry, whatever. Um, I got back into the car and I told Chloe that I needed to leave and that I have to, I have to go. Um, and she offered for me to move in with her. Um, and her husband and her roommate, um, Nathan, agreed as well. You know, they all kind of opened the home to me and was like, absolutely. And then I actually left him over text um, because I knew that it wasn't going to happen. I um, texted him and I said, listen, I love you, but I love me more like this. I don't like the way you make me feel. I'm so unhappy with you. You're, you know, like I, this is not good. This is not healthy. I have not been happy. Um, sorry that this is over text, but I could not it's not going to happen if I do it in person. Um, and I shut my phone off because I didn't want the like blow up calls and messages. I just kind of wanted to shut it off for the night. Um, and, uh, Chloe had gone to bed. So Nathan had stayed up with me all night. Like he sat with me and let me cry to him and we played games and, um, he kind of talked to me a lot through the emotions I was feeling. Cause I was like crying still. Um, even though I knew I was so ready to be done, I was still sad about it. And, you know, he had told me like um, that my ex was going to call me or message me and say everything I've ever wanted to hear from him, but that I couldn't go back because things would not change. Um, and so the next day, uh, my ex showed up to Chloe's house where I was staying and it was December. It was very cold. Um, so I had thrown on my winter coat. Um, and so when I got out there, he ran up and started hugging me, uh, and crying. I kept trying to pull away from him, um, and keep my distance, uh, but he wouldn't like, he wouldn't let go. Um, and I finally told him like, stop touching me. Uh, he finally backed away and was super apologetic. Um, 
you know, he told me that he changed, that everything be better and that he would do anything for me. He would, he like listed, like, I'll burn my computer for you. I'll take you traveling the world. I'll quit my job. Um, and he like got on his hands and knees in the street and was like begging me. Um, I kept telling him no, that I couldn't be with him anymore and that it was over. And, you know, he just kept asking me to come home with him. Like he just kept saying, please just get in the car and come home with me. We can go talk at home. And if you still want to leave, I'll take you back. Um, and I, I knew better than that. I wasn't going to go anywhere with him. Then he, you know, like, I was like, no, I'm staying here. And then he kept trying to get me in the car by being like, it's so cold out here. Like, please just get in the car. Let's talk. Um, and so I told him like, no, roll down your window and talk to me. Like, I'm not getting in your car. And then, you know, I told him I was done with his abuse and control that I had completely changed myself to fit his mold and that I wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, and then, you know, one thing he kept saying to me was that I owed him another chance you owe me this chance again. Like all the things I did for you, like this is kind of when he started to get more um, aggressive in the, cause at first he was just crying and begging and now he's starting to get more like, you owe me, I did all this for you. Why are, I can't believe you're doing this to me. You're never gonna be happy if I can't make you happy. You know, starting to just get very, uh, starting to get louder. Um, and you know, that things would change this instance. If I, if I could do what I wanted, I could wear my makeup, I could get social media back. Um, he was like holding my hands, crying, um, and asked if I was sure. And when I said, I'm completely sure I was done and I didn't want to be with him anymore. His like tears stopped and he dropped my hands and like, it's like his eyes went dark. He literally just turned away and got in his car and drove away. Um, and that freaked me out more than anything the way his emotions just like shut off and he was able to just walk away after like literally begging on his hands and knees, um, really creeped me out. And so, you know, a couple of days later, um, Chloe and I went to the apartment while he was at work. Um, we packed all of my things and I moved out. Um, after that day, we have never spoken again. I put my, you know, my 30 day notice in at the apartment and explained my situation to the landlord. They took me off the lease and that was it. Um, he never tried contacting me again. Nothing like that. And since then, you know, coming to terms with the fact that you were abused, you know, what has your life been like since that time, uh, coming to the understanding that, you know, real abuse was, was going on and, and maybe doing research on, on what that meant, emotional abuse specifically, not just, you know, physical abuse and what's your healing process been like? Um, yeah, so I, you know, pretty soon afterwards, I, you know, I had let all my family know I got all my, I got all my social media back, I started kind of mending those relationships. Um, my sister actually had shortly after me and him broke up became a domestic violence, like intervention, like advocate, um, to where she helps victims. Um, and so she was able to give me a lot of knowledge, uh, you know, about the different types of abusers and you know, she would bring a, a a book to dinner and we would read at this restaurant about, you know, all the different types of abusers. And it was nice that to see, like, uh, for me, it was just nice to see that it was just like someone had written about him. You know what I mean? Like that he wasn't, uh, like he was someone other people kind of interact with, that it wasn't like, I, I, I felt less crazy about the abuse because, you know, this whole book is just like writing about him. And so, you know, I've become, I've begun like doing the things I like again and being able to go out wearing makeup, um, which has always been like a pretty big passion of mine was makeup. Um, and like without the fear of repercussion, 
and I'm just feeling a lot more independent. Um, and I'm like thankful for the things I learned, but I, you know, I, not that I wish they happened, but I'm thankful that I learned those things. And what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself through this experience? Um, probably that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. Um, I think emotionally, I, I feel a lot less timid. I'm more willing to like stand up for myself and set those boundaries that need to be set early on, just, you know, in case. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? Um, I would say that even though the abuse is not physical, you haven't been hit, it is still 100% valid and completely, um, it's still damaging, whether it's physical or mental. Well, Naomi, I really want to thank you for being here with us today and sharing your story uh, laying everything out, you know, all the different types of abuses for everyone, all of your feelings surrounding it. I know you're going to help a lot of people by sharing your story today. So big thank you for being here. And also, I want to give a big shout out to your friend Chloe, who I have no idea who she is, but uh, Chloe is a good friend. I can tell by hearing the story and, um, you know, you're lucky to have a, Cl- a Chloe in your life. Everyone should have a Chloe in their life. And, um, just a really big, uh, thank you for, for being here with us today and just sharing your story and helping so many people by sharing your story. So just a, a big, big thank you, Naomi, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, Naomi, for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Naomi was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have a support group. So if you want to join our support group, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have form boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And it is a wonderful group of people on there. And you can share your experiences with everyone. You can make friends there too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful group of people there. It is a wonderful free resource, a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of coercive control transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they're looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of coercive control, help you to safety, get all of your things out of your home, into storage, 
all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization, so if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Naomi, we hope you have a good night.